James chapter 5, and you might recall that in, in this portion in James chapter 5, verses 1 through 6, he is speaking to unbelieving Jews in this particular portion who are persecuting believing Jews. And the, the, uh, the torture that's going to come upon them, he's speaking of the, the A.D., the A.D. 70 judgment that was going to fall upon it, uh, uh, Jerusalem in particular, and it was going to affect many of these, even though they were part of the dispersion. And, uh, and so this was going to take place in something about 15, 18 years away. But in any case, let's look at the last verse of that portion of chapter 5, verse 6. He says, You have condemned and put to death the righteous man. He does not resist you. You've condemned and put to death the righteous man. He does not resist you. So this condemnation speaks of a legal condemnation and using legal proceedings to bring believing Jews to their death. This was done and it was done of Jesus and it was done also of believing Jews. Remember, Paul had a letter to go with him to Damascus to imprison, to bring back in chains believing Jews, bring them back to Jerusalem and have them stand trial there. And Paul speaks about how he was part of a movement to have believing Jews imprisoned prior to his salvation, to have, have believing Jews imprisoned and even he participated in their being put to death, which could well have meant the time when he held the garments for those who were actually uh, uh, stoning Stephen. And Paul then got converted. But there were many Jews that were continuing to be quite wealthy, as Paul was, and continuing to bring torture upon believing Jews. And he says of them, You have condemned and put to death the righteous man. He does not resist you. This, this non-resistance was something that Jesus had spoken about in Matthew chapter 5, and the believing Jews were demonstrating this. So in Matthew chapter 5, verse 39, Jesus had exhorted the Jews who were, had believed. He said, but I say to you, Matthew chapter 5, verse 39, Matthew five thirty-nine. but I say to you, do not resist an evil person, but whoever slaps you on the right cheek, turn the other to him also. If anyone wants to sue you and take your shirt let him have your coat also. Whoever forces you to go one mile, go with him too. So the particular context of this, the context of this is in our witness of the gospel, Jesus is saying, have this path of non-resistance in your witness of the gospel. And he says, do not resist an evil person, but whoever slaps you on your right cheek, turn, to him the, turn the other to him also. If anyone wants to sue you and take your shirt, let him have your coat also. So there's even this, this impression of lawsuits. He's saying if they're going to sue you, he says, go ahead, just give it to them. You know, very different sort of standard. This is in particular in the witness of the gospel. But Paul deals with this same sort of thing in 1 Corinthians. And I want to deal with this issue, this, this, this non-resistance even in lawsuits, in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, if you'd look at that, because Paul dealt with this in the epistles, in his instruction to the church. 
And he dealt with this in particular thing of, of lawsuits. In 1 Corinthians chapter 6, he says, Does any of you, when he has a case against his neighbor, dare to go to law before the unrighteous and not before the saints? Or do you not know that the saints will judge the world? If the world is judged by you, are you not competent to constitute the smallest law courts? Do you not know that we will judge angels? How much more matters of this life? So if you have law courts dealing with matters of this life, do you appoint them as judges who are of no account in the church? I say this to your shame. It is that there... Is it so that there is not among you one wise man who will be able to decide between his brethren? But brother goes to law with brother, and that before unbelievers. Actually then, it is already a defeat for you that you have lawsuits with one another. Why not rather be wronged? Why not rather be defrauded? On the contrary, you yourselves wrong and defraud. You do this even to your brethren. So, Paul is discouraging lawsuits, and our society has become so enamored with lawsuits. Oh, this guy ran into my car. I will sue him for everything he's got. And in fact, the scriptures counsel us against that sort of attitude. They counsel us against it. This specifically, in this portion, teaches brother against brother, but not just brother against brother. It says in, in verse 1, does any one of you, when he has a case against his neighbor, so it does talk about brother, but it also talks about neighbor, one to whom we deal with. And remember, the question had come to Jesus, who is our neighbor? And Jesus said that your neighbor could be the man you just come across along the way. So neighbor doesn't necessarily refer to brother. And then in verse 8, it says, on the contrary, you yourselves... Wrong and defraud. You do this even to your brethren. So in other words, he's saying even to your brethren. So not just to the outside world, he says, but even to your brethren you're doing this. We are a different sort of people. This is what the scripture teaches us. We are to respond differently than the world responds. This litigious society that we are a part of is not to become part of our background. We are clearly to be different. In, in Galatians chapter 6, verse 7, it says, Be not deceived, God is not mocked, whatever a man sows, that will he also reap. That's in Galatians 6, 7. Whatever a man sows, that he will also reap. If we think that we can proclaim lawsuits and go and run off to our lawyers and start having lawsuits against people in a ready manner, and it not coming upon us, we are greatly deceived. If we live by the sword, we will die by the sword. If we live by a litigious manner, people will deal with us in a litigious manner. The way we deal with others is the way it will come upon us. This is what the scriptures say. And so it discourages us from lawsuits. I've even sat, uh, I've been called in for jury trials and they would describe the case and I was brought in and, and uh, they described the case that it was wet outside and this, this guy was coming off a ramp and he accidentally hit the, the, the back of a woman's car. 
and the issue, and the woman looked fine to me, and the issue wasn't just that the woman wanted compensation for the car or compensation for the health, her health. She wanted a lot of extra compensation. And, you know, I spoke up and I said, well, what's the big deal? It was a mistake. I mean, the guy was coming off an off-ramp, the woman's car was stopped, and he couldn't stop in the rain. <clears throat> this sort of thing happens. Mistakes happen. And if we want to sue people for every time they make a mistake against us and it causes us some sort of pain, we too will be sued when we make mistakes against other people. The way in which we live, it will be dealt to by us. Others will do the same to us. This is what the Scriptures teach us. This is such a freeing thing. And and uh, so... You know, they, were, they, were, they just had this Verdine, this, this uh, thing where they screen the jury. And so this one prosecuting attorney, he said, uh, uh, the, the, I'm sorry, the, the, the attorney that was representing this woman who had been hit, as, she, as he was going through the jury, he said to me, he said, so what do you think should happen? I said, I think she ought to learn to forgive him. Because forgiveness will release her from this. And then all of a sudden, another person on the, on the prospective jury said the same thing. Yeah, she ought to just forgive him. And then he realized. I mean, he had pushed the wrong button here and he right away wanted me to sit down and I was immediately released from the jury. This is a good way to get out of jury duty. But I really believe that. That we can learn to forgive because forgiveness releases us from this thing. To learn how to forgive. That's not to say that he shouldn't pay for her car. That's not to say that he shouldn't pay for the medical bills if there were some. But the, all this added suffering, it was, it was a mistake. It was clearly a mistake. There was no wrong meant in this. He didn't wake up that morning and say, I think I'll slam into the rear end of somebody's car today. Remember, the way we deal with others, it will be dealt with with us. Whatever man sows, that shall he also reap. Look in Luke chapter 6. Luke chapter 6. Jesus deals with the same sort of thing again. And really quite vividly in Luke chapter 6. A tremendous portion to memorize. Tremendous portion to memorize. Luke chapter 6. Verse 35. But love your enemies, Luke 6.35, but love your enemies, do good and lend, expecting nothing in return, and your reward will be great, and you will be sons of the Most High, for He Himself is kind to ungrateful and evil men. Look what He says. He says that, that um, love your enemies, do good and lend to them. Be kind to them, even as God is kind to those who are ungrateful. And... and uh, so often I feel this, oh, I did this to that person and they're ungrateful. They don't realize it. And that's exactly what God does for us. We're so often ungrateful and still He's kind and gracious to us. He's kind to ungrateful and evil men. God is kind to evil men. God is so great and so different than we are. Then he says in verse 36 of Luke chapter 6, Be merciful just as your Father is merciful. This is a commandment. Jesus says we are to be merciful as God is merciful. I wonder if we were merciful 
if we would be freed from all these lawsuits, from, from wanting to sue everybody all the time. God says, be merciful. Just as He is merciful. And everybody, it's like they want to get rich by going and suing somebody. God says, be merciful. This is a test. You want to get rich? Your richness will be very shallow. The money that you get will cause division and strife in your family. Be merciful. And you call down mercy upon your own family. Because look what it says in verse 37 of Luke chapter 6. Do not judge and you will not be judged. Do not condemn and you will not be condemned. Pardon and you will be pardoned. You see what I told you? That if we learn to forgive and pardon others, we ourselves will be pardoned. Even when we are wronged and we have a case, God says, pardon, and you yourself will be pardoned. So that when I do something wrong, and I do it all the time, I will be pardoned when I do something wrong. I was in a, a cab accident it was in uh, Atlanta about six or seven years ago. And I had landed there. I was going to be giving a talk at, at uh, Georgia Tech. And the cab driver was, we were like within one block of the hotel. And this, this young girl who was a student at Georgia Tech ran through a, a, a stoplight. And our cab T-boned her car because she ran this stoplight. And, and uh I had my seatbelt on. Many people don't wear their seatbelts in the back of cabs because they feel that you know, cab drivers never have accidents. And had I not had my seatbelt on, I would have been on the hood of that cab. Or, since it had the plastic shield, I, my face would have been mashed against that plastic shield. And I had my seatbelt on, and, and uh, you know, glass just shattered all around. Powder from the, the, the airbags in the, in the front was all over and and the cab driver and I, I had been sharing the gospel with him as we were driving. And we got out of the car. You know, we were just dazed a bit. And we got out of the car because we were in the middle of this intersection. And we just started hugging each other because we were okay. And, and I remember the, the, uh, I went to the, the hotel room that night because I walked from there to the hotel. We were within one block of the hotel after the police came. They got all the information. And I remember bending down and I was like, uh-oh. And I had had a, I got a cracked rib. I didn't even know it until I, you know, 45 minutes or an hour later when I bent down and I thought, something's not right in there. And it was where the seatbelt had grabbed me. And I got this call from the insurance company and he wanted a settlement. He wanted to give me a sum of money to sign something that I would never sue. I said, I can't do that. I can't do that because I would not sue her. I said, she's just a student. She just accidentally ran a stoplight. I've done that before several times in my life. Just accident. I've never intentionally run a stoplight, but I have unintentionally run stoplights before. And uh, I said, I, I can't sign that. And he sent me a check anyway. And he said, by signing this check, you know, and I sent the check back. I said, <clears throat> it doesn't work for me. And I said, plus my medical bills have been covered because it was part of my professional travel, so I was on workman's comp anyway, so the medical bills are covered anyway. And I said, as far as the pain and suffering, I mean, the, the money is not going to solve the pain and suffering anyway. So, 
but I, so I sent them the money back. But I had to live differently. I couldn't be a hypocrite with this type of thing. Because the lawsuit was not an option for me. It, was, it wasn't an option of something that I could do. Same thing, I was on an airplane traveling once. And, and you know how they say, be careful when you open the overhead bins because things might have shifted. Well, we hadn't even taken off yet. And as one of the, the air hostesses, I don't know, do you call them air hostesses? What do you call them? Stewardess. You can't call them stewardess because there's lots of men. That I know is wrong. Flight attendant. That's what it is. Yeah, you can't say hostesses then e- either. But it, yeah, yeah, flight attendants was fixing some things and somebody had a bottle of wine in a wooden box. The wooden box fell out and the corner hit me right there. Boom. Right. And it was like, ugh. It was <laughs> just days. Traveling is, is a rough business. You know? <laughs> just sitting on the airplane. And again, I got all these forms from Continental Airlines that if I signed these, I'd get, you know, a free flight or something. That's all I needed was to get hit in the head again. <laughs> but I couldn't sign it. I just sent it back because I couldn't live hypocritically. It was just a mistake. The poor lady just made a mistake. She was trying to sort things out. And it was just a mistake. I've made mistakes all the time. I've dropped things on, not on people's head, but on their feet. I mean, I've done this sort of thing before. This happens. Mistakes happen. God says that, that if, we are part, if we pardon others, we ourselves will be pardoned. So when I do things wrong, I look for pardoning because I've pardoned others. I can expect pardoning. Verse 38 of Luke chapter 6. Give and it will be given to you. They will pour into your lap good measure, pressed down, shaken together, and running over. By your standard of measure, it will be measured to you in return. So you see, many people use this verse in the context of giving money. And that's fine if they want to do that. This verse was not given in the context of giving money. There are other verses that are in the context of giving money talking about that we should give. And that we reap what we sow, even in giving. But this verse is talking about in the context of showing mercy and pardoning. He says, give... And it will be given to you. Give what? Give pardon. Give mercy. They will pour into your lap good measure, pressing down, shaken together, and running over. By your standard of measure, it will be measured to you in return. Now, what does it mean to be poured into your lap, running over? In other words, what you sow, you reap many times over. You sow one kernel of corn. I haven't counted the number of kernels that come from a stalk of corn if you add up all the the ears. But it must be like 10,000. One kernel will get you 10,000. The principle of sowing and reaping, you sow one apple seed, you can for 75 years get apples. The principle of sowing and reaping is always that we get back more than we give. That's the principle of sowing and reaping. So if I sow a little bit of pardoning, I get back a lot. If I sow a little bit of mercy, I get back a lot. If I sow a little bit of unmercifulness, I get back a lot. If I sow a little bit of, I'll sue you, I won't throw the first punch, but I'll be there to finish it up. You know, that sort of attitude will get us right back many, many times over. I want pardoning in my life because I need it. 
I'm the master at saying the wrong thing. I'm the master at offending people with, with my words, with my attitude. And I want people to forgive me. So I'm told to forgive. If I sow a little bit of mercy, I will receive a lot of mercy back. If I sow a little bit of unmercifulness, I will receive a lot of unmercifulness back. I just did this little thing to you. Why are you doing this to me? Are you suing me for this? Oh yeah, because of that little bit of unmercifulness that you had showed towards somebody else. You're reaping what you have sown many, many times over. We are a different people. And you bring this attitude into your lives into your community, into your homes. And what it will do is it will affect one day your children as well. If you learn to show mercy toward others, people will show mercy toward you, toward your home, toward your children. So many things will happen that are good, that you will stack up just these, these barns filled with mercy and goodness and pardoning. You will stack up barns of this if you show mercy and goodness. Somebody says something to you that's offensive, get over it. Forgive. And then that way, when you say something to somebody that's offensive, you will receive mercy many, many times over. Don't hold these things. Let them go. Let them go. And don't be running off to lawsuits. God doesn't want that for us because He's called us to something different. Okay? Let's turn back to James. James chapter 5, verse 7. Therefore be patient, brethren, until the coming of the Lord. The farmer waits for the precious produce of the soil, being patient about it until it gets the early and the late rains. You too be patient, strengthening your hearts for the coming of the Lord is near. Do not complain, brethren, against one another, so that you yourselves may not be judged. Behold, the judge is standing right at the door. As an example, brethren, of suffering and patience, take the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord, who counted those blessed who endured. You have heard of the endurance of Job and have seen the outcome of the Lord's dealings, that the Lord is full of compassion and is merciful. You know, this word patience, or patient endurance, or endurance, depending on your translation, is used twice in verse 7, once in verse 8, once in verse 10, and twice in verse 11. He's talking about patience and the example that he gives, he, he talks about, um, in verse 7, Therefore be patient, brethren, until the coming of the Lord. The farmer waits for the precious produce of the soil, being patient about it until it gets the early and the late rains. He's not talking about the day laborer. The day laborer gets his pay or her pay at the end of the day. He's talking about the farmer the husbandman, the one who owns the farm. Totally dependent on forces outside of themselves. There was no sprinkler system. They were dependent upon the rains. God says we are to learn to be dependent upon Him for the control of things that are totally outside our domain to control. If we want control of every aspect of our lives, we are in deep trouble. Our lives are so much dependent upon things that are outside of our control. The economy right now is not the best economy to be graduating in, for example. 
This is outside of your control. If God wanted me to control this, I figure if God wanted me to control this, He would have made me much taller, much bigger, so I could influence something. But what can I do? I'm just one person. I can't influence the economy. This is outside my control. And God wants me to rest in this. There are things that are outside our control, just as the rain. The farmer is totally dependent upon the rain. There are things that are outside our control that we have to learn to be patient in. The Lord will meet my need. He will provide for me. He will provide for my family. He will provide for you. There are things that are outside your control. And the scripture says, be patient and don't fret over these things. There are things that are outside your control. So you're 21 years old. And there's no potential spouse in your life. Well, it's not totally in your control. I mean, you can't just, you know, wire somebody to come in your direction and, you know, they come. You can't do that. There are things that are outside your control. You be patient and you wait upon Him. And in His time, He will bring all things that are needed in our lives. There are things that are outside our control. Very often the help of other people that we love. Outside our control. I have to learn to give that to the Lord. Difficult people in our lives. Outside our control so often. God says be patient with that. Again and again He tells us to be patient. Particularly with things that are outside of our control. The early and the late rains he talks about, outside of our control. Learn to be patient and rely upon God. And it is the most freeing thing to be able to commit to Him the things that are totally outside of our control. Because we can really rest and then we say, God, this is in Your hands and You will give me grace for this day. As Shireen always has to remind me, God will give you grace for this day. You see, yeah, that's right. He is going to give me grace for this day. He provided manna, bread from heaven, for that day. If they gathered for two days, by the second day the manna had gone rancid. He gives us enough bread sufficient for the day. Sufficient each for each day is the trouble thereof, Jesus said. Each day has enough trouble of its own. He will give us grace for this day. God, you don't even expect me to take upon myself grace for this week. You say grace for this day. This morning, as I commit this day to you, give me grace for this day. Because this day, I can believe for. I can believe that God can get me through this day. This season... He never expects me to have faith this day for the entire season. He says, each day has enough trouble of its own. He will get me through this day. That level of patience, this is outside of my control today. Father, I pray for your grace this day. Get me through this day. It is tremendously freeing. God says, learn to rest in patience for the early and the late rains the things that are outside your control. Let's pray.
Father, thank You so much for the Word of God. That You call us to be different. To be free from this litigious attitude that our society so has. I pray, Father, for these young people. When they are offended, that they would not take up the offense, but they would pardon. When people have been unkind and evil men have been unmerciful to them, that they would show mercy. So that they would store up barns of mercy and kindness and pardoning that will come upon them in their lives. That they will reap many times over for that which they have given out. And Father, I pray that you give these young people patience and grace for each day. That they would learn to be patient, particularly with the things that are outside of their control. Father, I pray for your grace to be on them. That they would trust you for the day. Father, thank you for your mercies. Lord, please do a great work in these young people's lives. In the name of Jesus, amen.